Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to me to the book of Revelations, chapter 12. I'm joking. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Everybody's like, "Ah, yeah, get ready. We're talking about the apocalypse. Four horsemen, or is it five? I don't know. Um, No, what I actually had for you this morning was a question. Have you ever, you know, been punching the clock, doing the nine to five, and wondered, what am I doing this for? What, does this even matter? Are people going to know about what I'm doing? Or this matter 10, 20 years from now? It was a question I've had almost all my life. I just want to do something that matters. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. If you don't know who I am, my name is Matt Clayton. I think. Um, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm the husband of my wife, Kelly. I am uh, um, father to Kylie and Gracie, my two little girls. I lead the media department here at the Art Church, and I'm also the founder of a small nonprofit called Project Playground. Thank you. Um, But last but not least, I am the oldest child of Alan and Joy Clayton. And you've been here at the church for any length of time. You may not know what I look like or who I am, but you've heard stories about me. You've heard stories of my father has regaled you with all my mistakes and failures and used my life as fodder for his messages. And as you all laughed, 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 and I sat on that front row for 26 years, <laughs> laughing on the outside, crying on the inside, <laughs> waiting for my day of revenge. <laughs> and let me tell you, it's here. I'm about to go Prince Harry up on this family. <laughs> Gird your loins, mommy and daddy, it's gonna get rough. 26 years, and here we go. Allow me a moment. You know, people ask me, they say, Matt, what's it, you know, is what you see what you get with your mom and dad? Is what you see what you get? And I'm like, (laughs) nope. No, it is not. You see, what you see up here is two people who love the Lord, who love you, who love this church, who love the work of the Lord. And what you get is so much more than that. They love this church. They love you more than you can ever know. They care about you and care about the things of God more than you could ever know. They love each other more than you could ever know. I don't know two people who love God more than those two. And it's an absolute honor to be a part of their family. They're an iceberg. Thank you. What you see is pretty great, but there's so much more down below. They're deep. And I'm really, really pleased to be here and honored to be here and honored to be a part of this family and a part of this church. But they're not perfect. It was an iceberg that sunk the Titanic. (laughs) And Leonardo DiCaprio did not deserve to die. There was room on that door. There was room on that door. One of the things I love most about my family is we're very honest with one another to a fault. If we had a family crest, whatever it would look like, sure, there'd be like meatballs in there. And then they would say, speaking the truth in love. 
because that's what my family does. We are very honest with one another. And it's one of the things I really appreciate about them. As a kid, my parents were not the whole, man, if you can dream it, you can do it. They were not that at all. They were like, I don't know, bud. I don't know. I think God's got, we know God's got something for you. We just have no idea what it is. None. We're going to help you find it. But we know it's not singing. And we know it's not dancing. We're struggling. We're looking. That's who my family was. They were very honest. Very honest. And I really appreciate that. And one of the things I really loved about my parents as well is they never pushed us to go into ministry. They never made full-time ministry or ministry the end-all, be-all, the only thing you could do for the Lord. I really appreciated that. In fact, if anything, they pushed me away from ministry. They're like, please stay away from the church as far as possible. <laughs> like, what are you doing here? What do you mean you want to work here? Um, I really appreciate that about my family. I mean, as a kid... I didn't have a whole lot to offer the world. You know, I, my skills were not taking a shower for days at a time. Um, I loved to build forts with my best friend David and the neighborhood. And we would go in the front yards and backyards and side yards of every house and build forts, much to the chagrin of the HOA and all my neighbors. And uh, there wasn't a whole lot. Yeah, that was about it. I could build forts and I could smell bad. And somehow they were like, God's going to use you somehow, Matt. We just have no idea how. But I love to build things. I truly did. And I still love to build things today. And I believe that we're built to be builders. I believe the Lord has designed us to build. I mean, take a look at society. I mean, look at the cities we build. The towers get bigger and bigger. We tear down old buildings and build brand new buildings because the old buildings just won't do anymore. We're constantly building as a people. Number one toy company in the world is not Barbie or G.I. Joe. It's Legos, the little plastic bricks. It's the number one most valuable company in the world. Why just play with a toy when you can build it as well? We love to build. No one dreams of owning a track home. They dream of building their own home. I want to design my own kitchen. I want my own cabinets. And I want a golden toilet in my bathroom. We like to build our own things. God's put it in us. And all throughout the Bible, you see God calling people to build something for him. He could do it all by himself. He's God. But instead, he invites people to build something for him. And whether or not you know it or not, or whether or not you like it or not, God's called you to build something as well. Don't take my word for it. Let's turn to the scriptures. It's in 1 Corinthians, third chapter. It's Paul talking. He says, if anyone builds... On this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though there's only one escaping through the flames. What the Lord's saying is when you get to heaven, God's going to be like, what did you build for me? What did you do for me? Did you just build things for yourself? Or did you build things that matter? Did you build things for the Lord? I don't know about you, but I don't want to just get into heaven. I want the reward of heaven. I want to build something that matters. Now, before you start taking a class in carpentry or buying a new truck and tools, telling your wife, sweetie, he told us to build things. Um, I'm not talking about buildings. Yes, we can build buildings for the Lord, but there's a lot of things we can build for God. A family that loves the Lord is built. It's not just found. A marriage that honors God is built. 
You can build a company for God. You can build a team for the Lord. You can build a community for the Lord. You can build a life of prayer, a life of service. If you're giving, serving in this church, you're a part of building something for God. You're a part of building something that matters. It just so happens I also build playgrounds. Um, Project Playground is a small nonprofit we started years ago. And if you don't know what we do, we take down playgrounds in the U.S. that are due for demolition. We restore those playgrounds, repair those playgrounds, and then rebuild those playgrounds in impoverished communities throughout the developing world. We like to say we build playgrounds for kids who've never seen one. Check out this video. This playground used to be in North Shore Park in the Woodlands. And then we took it out in two days and then shipped it all the way to Uganda, Kampala. And hundreds of kids are able to enjoy this park that was previously going to be thrown away. That park now serves a church in this community of Muslim people helping tell kids about Jesus. That's a little bit of what we do as Project Playground. Thank you. In about 10 years, we've built 54 playgrounds in 16 countries. And next year, our goal is to build 15 playgrounds in five countries, God willing. Thank you. People ask me, well, they, they don't actually ask me, but let's just say people ask me. Because <laughs> I'm preaching. And I need stories. <laughs> people ask me, Matt, how did Project Playground begin? There's a lot of really good stories in there. The first story is the second time I went to Bolivia and I had nothing to do. And I didn't know what I was going to do ministry-wise. And I saw in my neighborhood that there was no playgrounds for the kids. And so the Lord gave me the idea to build a playground. And out of nowhere, all this money shows up. And we build this playground. And it was pretty rough. I mean, it was made of local materials, pretty raw. But it changed everything. We built this playground. And our children's ministry tripled overnight. We used to have 70 kids. Now we have like 260 kids. The kids would come at 7 a.m. in the morning to wait for the playground to open for two hours waiting in line to play on this playground. And then they were dragging their parents to church. And I thought, huh, I need to do that again. <laughs> it's building a playground. It's a pretty good story. Our second story was really our current iteration of Project Playground. The city of Conroe graciously gave us Kashmirsky Park right down the road here. It took us six weeks to take out that playground. And what we did is we shipped it overseas and a group of 10 guys and gals went over and spent five days rebuilding that playground. Complete shot in the dark. We had no idea if we could even accomplish it. We had no blueprint. We've never done it before. At the end, 400 kids in this tiny village in Bolivia show up and play on it. And there was not a dry eye in the group. Thank you. Almost all those guys who went on that trip are still with us today. We were crying. We couldn't believe it. We had no idea. And we thought, we got to do this again. Those are great stories, great stories of victory and whatever. But really, Project Playground, I think, began also in one of my darkest moments. I had gone overseas to Peru and I was going to start my own mission agency, my, my, own, my own mission organization. And I was going to be God's gift to the mission field at the ripe age of 25. And I fell flat on my face. I mean pretty hard. It was rough. 
And in this moment, I thought, there's no way God could ever use me to build anything that matters for him. It's over. I made a mistake. It's done. The Lord's done with me. My dad was calling me to come back here to the church and work for him. And I didn't want to. It felt like a failure. Felt like I couldn't do anything for him. You know, if those thoughts are ringing around your head right now, I can tell you that's not God speaking to you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter who you are, you can still do something that matters for God. If he could use me, he could use absolutely anybody. Trust me. It's never too late to do something that matters for the Lord. Well, in the moment, in this dark night of the soul, if you will, the Lord gives me a scripture. And this scripture really became the foundation, the cornerstone of Project Playground. It encouraged me and I meditate on it. It's a scripture that we really built what is Project Playground today. And it's one that has guided my life for years. And it's a passage I want to share with you this morning. It needs a little bit of context. So the children of Israel had served the Lord for a little bit, done well. Then they stopped serving God. They kind of did their own thing. Disobeyed God for years and God warned them, but they didn't listen. Then eventually the Babylonians, a great empire, came, burned down everything to the ground, destroyed Solomon's temple, the walls, and then took all the people out of Jerusalem and shipped them to Babylon. Seventy years later, a king of Babylon decides to send a remnant of people back to Jerusalem to start rebuilding it again. And in that group of people was a man named Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, a leader. They start rebuilding things and Zerubbabel rebuilds the foundation of the old temple, puts the altar in, and then they throw a party to mixed reviews. I mean, some people were happy, some people weren't. You see, the people who had never seen the old temple, they recite. They're like, look at us. We're doing what God wants us to do. This is awesome, man. This is great. We've got an altar, building a foundation. We're doing good. The people who had seen the old temple and how beautiful and grand and big it was, they were crying. They're like, this temple is awful. It's the worst temple we've ever seen. <laughs> you call that a temple to rebel? It's nothing like what the old one used to be. And from what we understand, Zerubbabel and the people were discouraged. There was a couple other people that came along the way to help to try to stop them from doing what God called them to do. And eventually the work on the temple stopped completely. In this moment, God speaks to his people years later. And he's like, hey, you know what? Things aren't going well for you, children of Israel. You plant an entire field of wheat, but you're only reaping half. You're drinking, but you're never satisfied. You're eating, but you're never full. You're pouring water into a bucket full of holes. You're in a recession. The reason why is because you built houses for yourself. You built your own thing, but I still don't have a house. And there's a message in that. You can take it from me next week, Daddy. You're welcome. God's like, put me first and you'll be blessed. So the children of Israel go, okay, okay. And at the same time, God speaks to the leaders of rebel again. And this is what he says. And this is the passage that God spoke to me. And then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you become a plain. And he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. And the word of the Lord came, saying to me, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid this foundation of this house. His hand shall also complete it. And you'll note that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. 
Whoever has despised a day of small things shall rejoice. They shall see the plumb line, the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord. In other words, the way he says Zerubbabel, buddy, you don't have it. It's not about your power. It's not about your might. But it's by my spirit. I'm going to help you build this temple. And who cares if people think it's small? Or who cares if it's not what you think it should be? You build that temple because I told you to. And you'll see the completion of it. And I'll help you do it. And it's going to be great. For me at the time, I thought God couldn't use me again. And this scripture spoke to me. That I would see the capstone finished. That God would finish the work he started in me. And it's what kept Project Playground going. What do we learn from this? What can we take away? You know, the average playground in the U.S. costs $75,000. They're way over-engineered because of our precious little children. <laughs> There's nothing too good for our kids here in the United States. So these poles, aluminum and steel poles, are heavy-duty, and they're bolted together using proprietary stainless steel epoxy-loaded T45 tamper-proof screws. <laughs> Hundreds of them. And then the decks are rated for 5,000 pounds rubber-coated. I don't know how many kids weigh 5,000 pounds, but if they did, they can stay on that playground. And then anchoring all this to the earth is thousands of pounds of concrete buried three feet in the ground. Here's the picture I'm painting. It's a lot of work to take down a playground. They're not meant to come back down. Yet that's what we do. We take down old playgrounds to put them in new places. Here's what it takes to look like to tear down a playground that's Richard. He's taking out all the screws. Then we use an excavator to take out the poles, gently moving them. That's Don, moving them into their new location. That's Charlie and Steve breaking concrete. Some people use air hammers. Steve uses a sledgehammer. We eat donuts. <laughs> then we load all that concrete onto a dump trailer. Every playground has sometimes 10,000 pounds, sometimes 20,000 pounds, sometimes 30,000 pounds of concrete coming out of the ground that we all pull out by hand. And then these guys, Brian and Charlie, inventory the entire playground and get it ready to be shipped. It's a lot of work to do this. Yeah, give them a hand clap. We can take down two playgrounds in about six hours. The first one took us six weeks. It's a Saturday morning for us now. But here's the deal. I cannot do that by myself. There is no way. It requires an army of people to make this happen. And it gets even better. I'm the worst guy out there. I'm the least skilled. I still say lefty, loosey, righty, tidy when I'm <laughs> screwing anything in. I had to get out of my truck and let someone else back up trailers for me because I hit everything. I broke the doors off our dump trailer the first day we had it. I'm not good at this. But it doesn't matter because God's brought really good guys to this team. He's brought these skilled guys. It's Richard, Joe, and Don, and Brian, and Charlie, and Steve, and Steve, Rich, and Danny, Brian, and Curtis. These guys are skilled. They're so good at what they do. There's no way I could do it without them. When God calls you to do something, he's going to equip you with everything that you need to get the job done. He doesn't just leave you out there hanging and says, I hope you do well. He brings the resources, the people, the encouragement, the strength, whatever it is you need to build what he's called you to build, he gives it to you every single time. That's why he told Zerubbabel, it's not by your might, it's not by your power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's how you get things done. 
And here's the beautiful part about it. It's not about your skill level. It's not about your education. It's not about what you know or don't know or can or can't do. I can't do any of that stuff hardly. But God knows. It's about how great and how big our God is. And when you're willing to do the work, he'll equip you to do it every single time. God wants you to build something that matters. And not only will he equip you to do it, but he'll equip you to finish it. Take a look at this scripture. I love it. This is found somewhere. 2 Corinthians. <laughs> Losing track. I love this scripture. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That applies to you. When you're working, God will give you all grace, all ability, and all sufficiency in all things to finish what he's called you to build, to build something that matters. Amen. If we could do it by ourselves, if it was all about us, we'd get all the glory, and God wouldn't want that. And it would require no faith, and God loves it when we step out in faith and believe him for what we don't have. When I was going to Bolivia the very first time, this was my first mission trip like 20 years ago. I was 19 years old. I had graduated high school early. I was skipping prom, all that junk. I didn't care. I was going to go be a missionary with one of our missionaries in Bolivia. His name is Ben Gill. I was going to spend three months there. And uh, I had a pretty lofty idea of what Bolivia was going to be. I mean, I'd been to a Papacillo's restaurant, so I had a good feel for what Latin culture was. <laughs> I imagined it was going to be like, you know, Cancun, green and mariachi music playing all the time and like lights strung up and the little flags and like sizzling hot fajitas coming out all the time. <laughs> Beautiful women, great weather. That's what I thought Bolivia was going to be. And then the best part is I also imagined, obviously, as a 19-year-old, that I would be an evangelist preaching to thousands of people. There would just be Bolivians going, ah, bad. Just preaching all the time and people are just coming to Jesus by the thousands. Then reality struck and it hit hard. <laughs> this is what Bolivia looks like. It's 13,500 feet above sea level. It's cold. The atmosphere is literally trying to kill you every moment that you're there. You're gasping for breath when you get off the plane. There's no trees. There's nothing really pretty except for the mountains behind this. The food was absolutely awful. It was freeze-dried potatoes. When was the last time you went and got Bolivian? That's what I thought. You haven't. The food was awful. And the worst part was the women were meaner than snakes. Whew. I was like, this is not Papacitos. <laughs> to make things even greater, not only was I not preaching to thousands of people as a 19-year-old, I was digging holes. I dug holes. I dug holes all over that place. And I hated every moment of it. I'm sitting there digging holes. I'm like, this is not ministry. I should be preaching thousands of people. Digging holes. I wanted to quit so bad. But there was like no internet. And I couldn't make any phone calls because it cost like a $400 a minute. And so I was stuck in Bolivia. Just me and the Lord and a bunch of holes. If I would have quit though, I don't think I'd be here today. Years later, I found out where I dug all those holes, which I thought were literally meaningless because I felt like they were. They were just all over this field. It turned into the foundations for a church that would house hundreds and hundreds of people. I had no idea. I was so focused on the small thing. I couldn't see the bigger picture. You know, it's easy in our society to skip small stuff. We love big things, bigger buildings, bigger SUVs, bigger trucks. 
We worship those things. And oftentimes we despise those things that are small. But I feel like the Lord is often in the small things. He doesn't speak to us through the fires. He doesn't speak to us through the earthquakes. He speaks to us through the still, quiet voice. If you're doing anything for the Lord, it's no small thing. If you're holding babies, if you're parking cars, if you're giving, if you're serving, if you're part of helping our children's ministry, if you're kicking teenagers out of the bathroom, that's not a small thing to the Lord. That's something that he loves. And if you're not careful, you'll despise the small thing and miss out on the big thing God is doing in your life. I love this. This is a great passage. This is from Haggai or Haggai or something like that. You don't know it either, so don't. <laughs> don't act like, oh, I know what it says. Um, this is the Lord speaking to Zerubbabel again. And he says this, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not appear to you like nothing in comparison? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Zehozazak. Great name for a kid. The high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I'm with you, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be the greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And this place shall provide peace, declares the Lord of hosts. This was a Zerubbabel when everybody was crying because the temple was too small. Didn't look like the old temple. Couldn't be as good. Couldn't be as great. And they stopped working. The Lord said, don't despise it. Don't look down on it. Work. Because this temple will be better than the last temple. The Lord wasn't lying. Because that temple was smaller. And it wasn't as nice as Solomon's temple, the first one. But it was the very same temple that Jesus walked in. It was the temple that Jesus preached in. It was the temple that introduced the Messiah to the world. That's far greater than the temple that was before. Don't skip the small stuff. You'll miss out on the big things God's doing. If you're going to build something that matters. Let me tell you what, I dig more holes than all of you now. Hundreds of holes. I just put playgrounds in them. The Lord's like, your ministry's holes, bud. <laughs> Get in your head. It really could be project holes, not project playground. We were building this huge playground in Zambia. And uh, we were in the middle of nowhere. No running water, no electricity. We were literally tent, tent camping. That's the place we stayed. It took us five days to build this playground. And um, we're, we always build with the local guys, and they help us build. Their kids are going to play on it, or their brothers or sisters. And it's a lot of fun. And we're building this playground. It's the last day, and I, I turned to my friend Curtis, and Curtis is a great guy, and I said, Curtis, it was his first trip. I said, hey, bud, we've had a great time here. But you better watch your tools on this last day. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, bud, these guys, they love us. They love you. We've been sharing food with them. We've been working with them hand in hand this last five days. But they're going to try to take every tool they can from you. And he was like, what? I'm like, yep, they're going to take all your tools, bud, if you let them. He's like, well, that's not fair. I mean, that's not right. That's not just. We're giving them a playground, and then you're just going to take the tools? I'm like, yep. TIA, bud, this is Africa. It happens almost every single time we build a playground. But here's the deal. You can get upset at that. You can get offended. You can be like, well, I'm giving you a playground and I've done everything for you and your kids are going to play on this playground and you're going to take something from me? Yeah, it's unjust. Yeah, it's not right. Yes, they shouldn't do it. But I'm not going to let that stop us from building playgrounds all over the world. Who cares if you lose some tools? 
Who cares if you suffer some pain along the way so that people and kids can come to know Jesus through that playground? Now, stealing tools is a pretty small thing, but this is something I've learned, mostly being in ministry and watching my parents. Sometimes the people you love the very most, the people you give the most to in your life, are the ones who might spit in your face the hardest. Is it fair? No. Is it fun? No. Does it hurt? It does. But you have a choice to make. You either get bitter, you get upset at the injustice, you get angry at that person, you get angry at people in general. Just say they're all awful. Or you can forgive and love again. I asked my dad one time, I said, Dad, how do you do it? Because I've seen you through the years give and sacrifice and people be rude and mean and unkind to you again and again and again. I'm like, how do you do it, Dad? He told me, Matt, you got to pay the price to love. There's a price to love. You have to forgive people and you got to love again. And some people have done some awful things. It's not right. I'm not downgrading that by any means. But we're called to forgive them and to love them again. If you can't do that, then you can't really build something that matters for God. Our ultimate example of this is Jesus, who dying on the cross with his last breaths said, Forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. As he was dying on the cross for their sins, they were spitting in his face and cursing him. He forgave the ones that drove the nails into his hands. He's our example. He paid the ultimate price to love us. And he's our example as we're going to build something that matters, that we forgive and love again because of what he's done for us. And that's what matters the very most. We were in the country of Sierra Leone. And I love Africa, I really do. And we're in this country, and Sierra Leone, if you don't know, is one of the worst countries in the human growth index. It's like at the bottom, like right above Iraq. Blood diamonds, yep, that's Sierra Leone. Child soldiers, yep, Sierra Leone. Civil war, that's them too. We came in like six months or a year after Ebola had ravaged the entire nation. It was a pretty, pretty wild trip. We're in this all-Muslim village called Mamunki. And we're building a playground there. And for some reason, the chief of this village was really kind to us. Very opening. And Sierra Leone's a Muslim nation. And Christians are generally ostracized in society. We're building this playground. He's super kind to us. And one day he says, Matt... He says, I had a dream. I was in my village, in my home. I had this dream that as chief, I'm walking through the village. And I'm walking through and I come around the corner of the school. And I see a white man. And I was afraid. And that chief of the village told me, Matt, that's exactly where you built that playground six months later. I truly believe that he had a vision of Jesus or an angel. And I'll tell you why. Because later on, we dedicated that playground in the name of Jesus in an all-Muslim community. These are the kids playing on that playground. And as the kids are playing on the playground, I look at the chief. I said, Chief, can we show the Jesus film here? The chief said yes. For we think the very first time we were able to show the Jesus film to hundreds and hundreds of villagers who have never heard or seen it before. And then an altar call was given, and over a hundred 
people gave their life to the Lord. That's right. At the end of it all, the chief gets up and tells everybody, hey, look, these Christians, we're not going to throw them out of our society. We're not going to throw them out of our village, which was common practice at the time. They're a part of who we are. He gave them amnesty. It was a powerful move, important move. Why do we build playgrounds? Why do we do missions? So kids come to know Jesus. It's not just because playgrounds are fun or cool, they're getting thrown away. It's because we want kids to come to know Jesus. At the end of the day, that's all that matters. Why do we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to send missionaries all over the world so that people come to know Jesus? Why do we do what we do as a church? Why do we build this church so people come to know Jesus? That's all that matters. At the end of the days, that's all we're going to care about. It truly is. Throughout the Bible, when God tells, asks someone to build something for him, whether or not it be the tabernacle or Solomon's temple or Zerubbabel's temple, he wants them to build something so that he can be with his people. God wants to be with his people. He wants you to build something for him so that he can be with his people. And when he's with his people, he's also with you. And when you build something that matters for the Lord, let me tell you, it's the greatest adventure you'll ever know. Yeah, there'll be tears. Yeah, you'll pay a price to love. But at the same time, you'll never know as much joy, as, as much peace. You'll never see as much faith. You'll never grow as much until you take that step and say, yes, Lord, I'm gonna build something that matters for you. It's the greatest adventure you ever go on. Greater than any country, greater than any other place or mission trip is building something for God. At the end of the day, the Lord will say, what did you build for me? What did you do for me? And I want people to be shouting, grace, grace. This wasn't Matt. This wasn't his skill or his ability. This was the Lord who did this. God gives all the glory. He gets all the praise. We do it for him. And we do it so people can come to know Jesus. At the end, that's all that matters. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for every single person here. Father, we thank you for everyone who's attended. I think that inside their hearts, you've given them something to build for you, something to do for you, Father, that everybody has a part to play in what you've called them. And I thank you that you'll equip them with everything they need to do it. If you're sitting here this morning, you say, Matt, I don't know Jesus. I'm not his friend. I'm not his follower. But I want to make him the Lord of my life today. Or maybe you say, Matt, I knew Jesus a long time ago, but I want to reconnect with him. I want to rededicate my life to the Lord. With no one looking around, if you're sitting here this morning, you say, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to come into his kingdom. If that's you today, give me a hand. Shoot up your hand. I want to see those hands. If you want to say yes to Jesus for the very first time, or you're saying, I want to rededicate my life to the Lord and live for him. Let me see. We see those hands. We see those hands. And the Lord also sees hearts. We're going to pray a prayer. We're going to pray all together. We're going to say as one big Ark Church family. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. And I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior and the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven 
and I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.